something really special that I've been promising to show you. Always go now. Because I'll be here for a short while. Don't you trust me? I trust you, Lily. Nothing is more magical. As long as they roam the earth, evil can never harm the pure of heart. like you know <laughs> very on brand that that's the least sensical uh trailer that we've seen i think in, yeah. in this so far out of everything i leave that going what the fuck did i just like what is this movie yeah <laughs> which is very <laughs> similar to how you feel after watching the movie so yeah, it so it's, it's, yeah. On, it's on brand, <laughs> it's on brand. <laughs> um all right welcome to movie night extravaganza episode 55 we are talking about legend 1985 uh you know uh, fantasy, fantasy, Ridley Scott, uh, fever dream, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and it makes just about as much sense as any other, I think, fever dream that I've ever seen. Or but, Ridley um, Scott, um, Jim Henson cosplay. <laughs> but yeah. I, I feel like I would have enjoyed it more with Jim Henson cosplay. I, I'm not gonna lie. I, if, if some Muppets had showed up, I would have been uh, far more interested in, in 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 this movie. But um, only yeah, only Tom Tom Cruise is the one Muppet would be hilarious but um you took exactly where i was gonna go with it which, <laughs> which I, was, I was just gonna say of course the only muppet in here is pantsless which is tom cruise but, yeah which you know as muppets generally are i don't you know <laughs> they, they make jokes about Land. that and well yeah. they make jokes about that in 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 the muppets i think like kermit is always mm -hmm. pantsless and they're like you're not gonna wear pants so i don't know nobody pointed out that he was pantsless in this movie which was a little weird but all right let's go with it yeah, he's like waist deep in snow <laughs> Introducing the panel, we have our unicorn uh, co-host, Jay Andrew World, illustrator. Well, because your name is Ugly One Horned Mule, but you know, <laughs> I'm on I'm on the side of light in this exchange, so I'm not I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna call you that. So, <laughs> illustrator, uh, you know, um, Ben Burgess, artist, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, and Movie Night Extravaganza co-host. How's it going today? Pretty good. Pretty good. I didn't quite finish uh, rewatching, you know, seeing the director's cut, which drove me nuts. Um, 
the colors, the colors in the director's cut, I will say superior yeah. than the, than the original, but that's, that's you, the only thing. Do you think that on streaming uh, platforms in Europe, the cuts are different because you know, there's the they, US cut and the international cut. I would imagine so. There's like five cuts. Yeah. <laughs> then there's the Brexit cut where they blame it on the foreigners. <laughs> All right. Protonic reversal host and <laughs> front man for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. Conan Neutron, co-host of the show. Sparkly right. as always. <laughs> I, I, I am the goblin, bro, tonight. That's, that's as good as you're going to get out of me. <laughs> <laughs> we have, of course... Lady Darkness. I'm Christina on Twitch. Uh, I think uh, Lily, if she had chosen to go with Tim Curry's, uh, you know, darkness character rather than kind of just, uh, you know, I don't. She seemed like she kind of bailed halfway through. Like she didn't decide. Like she couldn't decide. Like, well, this this might be cool. I don't have a lot going for me right now. What but, uh... an idiot! <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but yeah, the things I do for you guys, I swear to God, they just I gotta give the people what they want. Exactly. <laughs> and they want more horns more horns yep we're talking yep. about it more and more folks <laughs> <laughs> all right and uh introducing for the first time uh el jazzy uh, lamplighter who is the author of the unexpected enlightenment of rachel griffin as well as uh the prospero's daughter trilogy has also written a number of short stories articles on anime and is the author slash assistant of the badass fairy series thank you and thank you guys for having me um, so I guess going through this, I want to know how much everybody enjoyed this movie, how much it made sense to people. Um, I, I, I personally, you know, I think that it was a fun movie. I liked looking at it, but I didn't necessarily find the story as engaging as, as, as I wish I did. So, uh, whoever wants to go first. Oh, this is probably one of Ridley Scott's, like, I wouldn't say worst films, but like, it wasn't his, like one of his great masterpieces. I do feel like he was trying to get in on the 80s fantasy type of uh, wave, as you would. I mean, visually, the movie's stunning, but uh, the plot, I'm just like, I'm just here for Tim Curry. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he, that's that's right on point with what I was thinking is that, you know, visually, this this is a perfect, like, sick day movie, I always call it, right? Like, where you're like, oh, man, I don't really want anything too heavy right now. Well, don't worry. This is as light as air. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it looks amazing, right? Like the 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 visuals are great. Cinematography is awesome. The direction's actually really good. Uh, half the characters are obnoxious or nonsensical, and uh, there's just cocaine decisions to up, up and down the line. But I mean, visually, it's really beautiful to look at. It's maybe like one of the best in class. Yeah, the characters uh, I, the characters don't seem like they're introduced either. Like every time there, someone's like, you know, yeah, you know, they're, they're like they're like, oh, you don't know me? I'm the Gump, and it's like. Yeah. Can we get a little backstory uh, on this? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's the forest gump. Come on, we just have we just have to like put it like it, we just have to use our imagination to like assume what these characters are all about and their backstories yeah. and whatnot. But I'm I'm like I can't do that though. And part of that depends on we and we already talked about the theatrical theatrical cut versus the director's cut. Uh, and as far as like the amount of exposition and introduction and stuff like that, you get a bit more of that with the director's cut. Like you get to know a little bit more, like how these creatures and, and people like interact with each other and like why things are the way they are, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also just like scenes like, oh, you did it for love? Oh, okay, cool. Let's drink some elderberry wine. Yeah. Like, what? That's like, like doom the world, but you, you did, did it for love. What? 
Oh, for love. Oh, oh. You, you showed you, you want you wanted to get laid and you showed the girl that there were your. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. all right. Let's uh, take a drink. Yeah. Let's go. You know, I totally would, but that that he was not the right casting choice for this film. So I think the movie is half really good and half really awful. And it's half really good because the actual dialogue for the fairy creatures and the goblins is like spot on for old myths, you know? Like you listen to some of the individual lines, you're like, that's really good. They really got this. But then it doesn't quite go where it should go. <laughs> and I wonder if part of it is that stories with demons and temptation are actually a different genre than fairy tales. Yeah. Mm. And it's almost mm. like there's two genres running into each other in this movie. I also wonder if I would have enjoyed it better with no word crawl at the beginning. Yeah, they well, do kind the of run. Cut does not have the word crawl at the beginning. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, the theatrical crawl. cut does the exposition. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sets up a mood that's a little different than a fairy tale mood. Yeah. And I kind of yeah. think they might have enjoyed it more, you know, if that wasn't there. So I can see why maybe the director took it out. Very reminiscent of like the Black Cauldron in a, in a sense. Yeah, same, same, well, similar vibes. This is, also, this is also going on, I think, at the same, I mean, around the same time as, you know, the end, the tail end of the Star Wars trilogy. And uh, yeah, because yeah, I think it's, 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 it's we're in. Yeah, it's, it's very popular to kind of have that word crawl going on at the beginning of a movie where it's like, hey, we're going to we're going to make sure that there's something that's there for you uh, right before going into this. Like, yeah, new magical I don't world. object like, to world crawls. I just think that the moral background universe presenting the word crawl is a different mood than a fairy tale. Yeah, it kind of and, took away a little bit, and there's kind of a surprising amount that you have to just immediately absorb before you just get dumped in. Like, yeah. oh, it's <laughs> happening! All right, yeah. And I know a lot of that had to do with the really uh, aggressive editing choices made by um, made by the studio and whatnot. But we can't actually fully blame that just on the studio because it's not like the director's cut has like a that much more composition to it frankly like you get to see like certain things longer like it doesn't feel like oh they're over here now now they're over here now they're over there it doesn't yeah. have that feel to it as much but there is still a lot of like oh yeah i'm so and so everyone knows who i am you know <laughs> what yeah. nobody knows who you are what you, you guys don't about? know brown so, yeah. tom yeah come on. <laughs> I i'm like why in the world is he the gump and not fuck <laughs> it yeah. doesn't even make sense exactly if he said it was puck i would have been like oh puck i knew who that is yeah i know who that I is exactly like i knew who it was and it wasn't puck yeah it's like so it's someone else entirely it's like okay oh, it's a four skull. that's puck all it is it's copyrighted or something <laughs> it's there um, to make the joke uh years years late uh you know <laughs> before the movie came out i appreciate you your diligence it. in making that reference not once but twice but yeah It'll, it'll catch on eventually. <laughs> more and more people are talking about it. Um, no, but I, I think that one thing that this movie also suffers from is um, in every in every kind of fantasy movie, in every fantasy story, I think there always needs to be like an audience corollary, right? Like you need like the audience kind of needs to be represented by one character. Um, and <laughs> I, I hear. <laughs> yeah. So I think this movie does a very bad job with that because it seems like, number one, the two characters that are both supposed to be kind of um, – like a like an audience uh, corollary, I guess, or like Lily when she first touches the unicorn, and, you know, and and you're kind of getting that from her perspective. But also like you know Jack, and who doesn't know Jack, like literally doesn't know Jack <laughs> shit about what's going on in the in, in in the woods he lives in. And it's like 
I, I don't know. I don't feel like either of those characters uh, did a very good job as like an audience. Like they don't quite make sense because if he's a forest boy, why isn't the story about what a forest boy could do? Yeah, it's friendship Maybe with goblins and elves and, and shit like that. He doesn't and seem he, to have any until that like, day. He just, he just is squatting around all over the place. That's like seems to be the sum totality of his skill set. Yeah, okay. okay, Lots of squatting. Yeah. <laughs> but she's supposed to be elated because the, the the when she goes to the cottage, she's told, "Oh, you know, you shouldn't be here. You're 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 a higher class girl." Yeah. If so, why is she attracted by jewels? I mean, if yeah. she's actually a rich girl, then the jewels. I mean, when she gets to was offered the dress and stuff, why is that interesting? If they set up she was a poor girl and she saw the jewels and she was overcome. I think that would have made a lot more sense. It also, the, the main action of this movie seems to be class related in that, um, you know, her, her touching the unicorn seems to kind of be like a, uh, like everyone's like, hey, don't do that. And she's like, listen, I can do whatever the fuck I want. I'm, I'm pretty high up in this world. And she's then she princess, touches the unicorn. Exactly. And then, but yeah. then like, but then everyone's still kind of defending. Everyone seems very uh, like they're defending her throughout this. Like, I mean, well, obviously, Tom Cruise. Can you just put your finger on one of the things that's, that's missing, which is in a fairy tale, a fairy tale, you're told what not to do, and then someone does it, and then a disaster happens. Right. Yep. There's no scene where anybody goes, no human should touch the unicorn before well, she does it. Oh, you have Tom Cruise is trying to. He's like, like, hey, maybe. And she's like, she's like, listen. But I mean, they don't tell the audience first. Yeah. You have, but you do have the comedic, slight comedic relief of the goblins chilling out and being, look at that ugly one horn mule. Like, (laughs) and it's like, what are are these, these guys, like, what's their, what's going on? Like, what? And then it's like, and they're there because they were tasked by darkness to kill the, the unicorn. Right? Yeah, like that that's their whole deal. But they're just like lamping. They're just like, you know, spying on the whole scene. Where's the scene where the goblins go, if a mortal girl touches it, we can kill her. Exactly. Like all the time. You, like, you know, it's like they show up by chance. They're not even happy she's there. Something was missing from uh, the formula. That's actually one of the better parts of the director's cut where they actually are following uh Jack through the woods. They, 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 they do set that up better. Yeah. I'm not saying it's done perfectly. It's still flawed, <laughs> but you know, it's 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 a better uh, setup, and that uh, you know, the, the the intro there to to get you know, you're not just all of a sudden cut. Oh, they're all there. Yeah, that, that, everyone that was is... there. Everyone was watching. Just the unicorn gets touched. That's what. I... <laughs> yeah. For for yeah. me, the director's cut versus the theatrical cut. It's about like a half a star better for quality, but almost just goes back down because I just don't like the music as much. I think the Tangerine Tangerine Dream score is, is just far superior because it sounds yeah. more otherworldly as opposed to like Absolutely. the other one sounds more like, hey y'all, fantasy movie. Yeah. It, and it's it's serviceable <laughs> and it's there when it needs to be, but it it yeah, that Tangerine Dream score really does make it feel like this, you know, bad trip that you're on. Like like, you know, you ate some weird mushrooms. <laughs> before um, putting on a movie. And all of a sudden you're like, man, this is the weirdest Black Hawk down I've ever seen. <laughs> Suddenly you're drinking elderberry tea with elves. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I will say that the the thing that they do set up, I guess, in the first scene in the theatrical cut, um, because I didn't I didn't see the director's cut. I only saw the theatrical cut. I didn't even attempt. I was like, what can they really add to make this story like make more sense? 
like really not like every other princess she she hangs out with, with the pores like uh but it seems like it seems like darkness in that first scene is like uh oh you know you have to give the unicorn some kind of bait and then uh blix is like what what be this bait you teach me and he goes innocence innocence which would imply that she's kind of the innocent one and the unicorn comes yeah. close to her because she which, senses that or whatever and then they're able they to trim that out in the director's cut yeah that's that's one of the things i don't under, of the many and they got rid understand. of the green glowing teeth yeah uh yeah, there's what? certain decisions where, and also like for the, for the director's cut, it almost seems like when when you really get to lay into Tim Curry's stuff, there's more of it, but it's so far at the end, you're like, it feels like a different, like it's like an add-on. We're like, oh, this is a cool sequel to this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, with this character that we Curry? never saw for like oh, an hour and a really? half. How could you? <laughs> I mean, the is traditionally how you get a unicorn, so you know that's perfectly fine. But the problem is, in order to make her innocent. They make her not be told she shouldn't touch the unicorn. But that makes her innocent, which means she hasn't done anything wrong, which means she has no character arc. Major plot hole. There's no yeah. And Jack also has no character arc. I mean, he doesn't learn or do anything. Well, that's <laughs> why I that like rank. the European version, because uh, I think that's the one where he he uh, basically dumps her and then goes off in the woods. <laughs> As you do, you know. <laughs> I mean, if I had a nickel for every girlfriend, I dumped like that. I I will say though, I, I found like, I'd have a nickel. No. <laughs> I found that like Mia Sarah, because this was her movie debut. Like I forgot. Like I'm like, wait a minute, she's the girl from Ferris Bueller. Yeah, she's Sloane yeah. in the, her next role, right? It, it's like the next year or something like that. No, I th she was. I think this movie was her film debut. Yeah, I yeah, think but I think the next one after that is, is yeah, uh, it was yeah. yeah, and uh, I, 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 she actually did a decent job of trying to do like a like a accent, which was great. Like it was almost like mid Atlantic ish, but like yeah. Tom Cruise can't do an accent to save his life. I'm like, what are you trying to do? The only the only accent Tom Cruise can do is the uh, is is the Les Grossman, uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play it again because I played it during our wrap up and it got taken out. But the when he's like. Play, uh, play, uh, in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I, I just want to point out, too, that a, a good piece of exposition, which is I don't mind a character announcing, like, reasons, like, why something is happening, is when they're talking about the princess and Blunder says, I, I even looked this up to make sure I got the quote right. She was so sweet, I could eat her brains like jam. That was that was a line I actually appreciated. That was yeah, I like I liked I liked that one too. I also and like. I remember that when I saw it as a kid. Which, by the way, I liked it way better as a kid because I apparently was far less discerning. <laughs> I like that. I like that everybody in this movie seems to want to eat everybody else. Every, like, it's just con constantly. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> like, they'll turn us into barbecue. Barbecue. Like. <laughs> something. <laughs> That's it makes really me wonder though if Ridley Scott got really high and was just like hungry while writing this and was just like, <laughs> you know what? That's probably I'm hungry as fuck. Let me just keep trying to write these these things. There's also a weird combination of uh the the Meg character like the the um you know in the swamp seems both hungry and horny like she yeah she's like it could go either way yeah so <laughs> or maybe both in the director's cut right yeah there is more uh, I don't remember. I obviously didn't care enough to retain the information, but there is more of that character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit more. It's uh, um, Tom Cruise. It's just showing that Tom Cruise's character Jack has a little more uh, intelligence because he seems like the stupidest person 
Well, the second stupidest person in the movie. Which is um, believable. Yeah. I mean, Tom Cruise <laughs> throughout the 80s does seem like the stupidest person in every movie he's in. It was a little bit less believable in some ways when we watched uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Edging yeah. Tomorrow, and he's like the one that figured, like he figures stuff out really fast. And it's like, are you, are you a fast learner? I don't, I've never seen that displayed in any other context. Like, <laughs> but but it's the but that makes sense for that character because that character's ill-equipped otherwise. That no, like, I just mean need... I just mean no, I just mean Tom Cruise as beautiful oh, you mean the idiot. actor, like okay, yeah, yeah, the actor Tom Cruise well, is a beautiful idiot. Like, but I, I so I actually <laughs> would say that I think he's perfectly cast in this in that way because because Jack is yeah well he's just it's just naive he's like this naive character that doesn't really know nothing about nothing and like you know hangs out drinking elderberry wine with a bunch of uh, little forest creatures and stuff. All right. One one scene that I really one moment that I noticed this time watching because I watched it last night and I watched it today. Well, I watched it twice yesterday actually, trying to see if I missed something or if I was just not understanding something about this movie. So <laughs> I watched it today, and, and one moment that I realized um, when because when when he's talking about the weapons, he's like, "I know nothing of weapons," which would make sense if you're just kind of some guy like hanging out in the forest, but just someone squatting you, in a forest. Yeah, so much yes. squatting in this movie. <laughs> if someone hands you a sword. You can like, you know, you can very easily go, oh, you're supposed to like cut with this. You're supposed to slice. And he finally uses the sword against uh, Meg and hits her with the sword and then goes, I did it. And there's like this weird moment where he's like, he's celebrating the fact that he understands how a sword works. Yeah, well, uh, he dropped oh, it before job. the director's cut. Well, he, <laughs> um, he drops it, but I couldn't yeah. figure out when he dropped it. Because there's a scene <laughs> where I want him to use it. I'm like, where's his sword? Well, well he, it's that's actually, what I like director's cut. That, that's the strength there. He he pulls up the shield and he can't quite get the sword out because uh she's uh Meg's leaning on the shield and he's trying to use the shield to distract her. And then she takes the shield away, he draws the sword out, and then he drops it, and then he has to get it out of the water, and then she sees that he has the sword and he just swings it like haphazardly and accidentally cuts her head off. What <laughs> happens after? Because when he's down, like you know, in the, the kitchens or wherever they are later, he doesn't have it. Where does he lose it? It's it's called an, an error. <laughs> he loses it in a hole. A I wonder if he lost it when yeah, he there we go. When they slid down. I mean, I, but I didn't see the shield. I saw it kind of fly off the sword. I, I never saw it go. Maybe it happened. I or INDB calls them goofs. Wait, exactly. <laughs> uh, so who so who watched it? Who watched it on Amazon and who watched it on uh, YouTube? Because I watched it on YouTube because my Amazon account's not working right now and. They usually point out like the continuity errors or the goofs or everything in the. Did anyone look at like how many there were or like? Yeah, I just watched it on Amazon. Because I, mean, I, 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 I if you looked, if you pause if you pause on Amazon, there's a usually a list of like continuity errors. There's a list of like goofs. They give you all this trivia, which I've, I've always. I mean, you know, I'm not a fan of Amazon as a company, but like the Amazon Prime Video app, I've always appreciated that they tell you who's in the scene. And yeah, I, we, we I, had who's in the scene, which actually was quite interesting because I actually would never have guessed that the main goblin was a woman. I yeah, mean, I didn't, oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Well, that matters. It just was I, I yeah, didn't know. Matter. And I was like, hey, isn't that interesting? You know, her name was Alice. More female goblins. That's there we go. <laughs> More female goblins. Let's go. <laughs> That's what Girl the boss goblins. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's yeah. As we mentioned, there's so many characters that feel like they they need no introduction. So like, it's nice to ha nice to have that. Uh, yeah, I've seen so I've seen it. I've seen this movie three times. I saw it as a kid in the theater, which I retained none of that. And then when I saw it uh, as an adult later, uh, I saw the director's cut. So I was like, hey, I bet this is gonna be a better movie with the director's cut. And I was like, mm, 
was it? And then I saw it the other day, which which the theatrical cut, which was which was on uh, the Bezos company, and I did not look at like a single piece of extra information because I was like, that's that's enough. That still felt long to me. That so movie. much confusion. Well, yeah, they might have right. given up on this one and gone like, hey, we don't need to put the goofs in the because a lot of times it's like really classic movies. Like, um, yeah, I remember watching two thousand one Space Odyssey, which is probably like one of the greatest achievements in cinema at the time. Sure. You know what I mean? And they would they loved like putting the trivia in and being like. Well, actually, in this scene, you see this in this cut, like this shot, and you don't see it in the next shot. And it's like, all right, well, yeah. this is just kind of breaking down the the, the, the small flaws, you so know, you in one of the this most. This movie had so many flaws. That yeah. There's like, like fucking. Overwhelmed. <laughs> the word tells you it can't, it can't tell you with spelling words anymore because there's too many. The, co- the track just says, we're as confused as you are. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't want to uh, work at Amazon, but it kind of uh like knowing that somebody job. knowing that someone's job is to watch movies and write that shit down i'm like oh fuck that's the career that i wish like, wish i had you're just sitting there watching movies and you're yeah. like trivia that's probably like the one good amazon job like squirrel preacher <laughs> trivia guy yeah yeah exactly i feel bad for the people who do adult films and they have to do the subtitles <laughs> oh, ooh, ooh baby give it to me yes give it to me <laughs> hey I didn't order like uh, I didn't order a pizza. Well, there's a pizza here at your door. Oh, now let's have sex. Grunting Hell intensifies. We have, sex. <laughs> we have extra. <laughs> Use one of those closed caption systems that tries to figure it out. If if I may suggest uh, <laughs> that David Lynch, uh, Twin Peaks: The Return. If you ever, it's worth watching with the subtitles because someone clearly was a fan. And you get to see a lot of like whooshing intensifies and like really like fun stuff along those lines. Like it's it's somebody definitely was like I'm I'm into this. I'm gonna make some art out of this, and it's pretty great. I was uh, I was watching um, my my neighbor Totoro yet last night, and uh, that's so like, good. It is it is so good. But the uh, some of the the captions in it are amazing. Like one of the ones that I noticed were like uh, second instrument joins in. When they're when they're playing they're they're playing like the flute noises and like I was like oh shit like this is probably like one of the more fun movies to to do the subtitles yeah. for because I I remember um, working for working for Michael Brooks um, I was supposed to help out when he did his big Lula interview and uh, everything kind of had to be transcribed and it ended up uh, Brian Mayer who kind of put it together did that part of it I didn't have to but I was trying to research into like how that's kind of done. And I guess there are there are transcript like transcription services where you can just kind of put it in and it does it for you. But like you know, then you're kind of leaving it to the mercy of like word translations to the yeah. mercy of somebody else. And it's and you see that often with anime where they got it wrong. I yeah. wondered. And you just what know. I mean, that's not the word that they they were actually saying. Yeah. I wonder what they would have done. Like you know how there's probably different versions like in different languages of this film. How whoever did Tim Curry's like German would sound like as darkness. <laughs> I'll be back. Because German is a, a very aggressive sounding language. Yeah, it's like a Deutsch Dreyer not the Oberschule. Yeah, oh, and, sound kind of good. And like his <laughs> voice, there's so much resonance in his voice that I wonder. Ich bin ein Berliner. It just sounds like Rammstein, as it turns out. Yeah. Du hast anyway. <laughs> But I just wonder, like, do how host, much... Do host, mish. Like, <laughs> I love... 
I love Tim Curry so much. Is so soft. I know. He's, he's what makes this movie work. I saw a thing a couple of months ago where it was like you said, you can tell a lot about a person about what they know Tim Curry from. And I've been thinking ever since then about that because he is in a really wide range of things, you know? Mm-hmm. And I must yeah. say the one that always comes to mind to me first, if it's not legend, is the Muppet uh Treasure Island. Treasure Island, yeah. Oh yeah. wow, okay. that's right. That's right. New Tim Curry from uh, yeah. before I before yeah. I knew Rocky Horror Picture Show existed. For me, yeah. Rocky Horror than it. I was. Well, I was very. He's a really. I was waiting I was like for seven. Seeing those me, films. Yeah, like his his Pennywise is quite good. Like it's yeah. It's, that, that's that's another. I'm glad that he's able to like. I mean, we if, for those who don't know, like wonder where Tim Curry's been. He suffered a stroke back in uh, 2012, I believe. Yeah. I and know. so he's been doing. He's he's. Uh, wheelchair bound unfortunately he does conventions he signs autographs he does like uh, he did have a big announcement that something's coming oh yeah he's got an announcement later this year i hope Um, it's not another stroke (laughs) i'm dead folks no um, oh god no i don't think you get advance notice of those for us but y'all don't have the cardio app (laughs) follow tim curry on social media because you might find out something interesting i don't know what it is yeah, um, I'm curious. I'm that something might be coming, but I'm glad that he's like more because he never really talked about like most of like his roles, especially Pennywise. Like you could not find anything yeah. on him discussing Pennywise until like a few years ago. Um. Well, he another thing is that working. he didn't stop, and even him. now he also talks about Legend a lot too. Which is, yeah. I, yeah, we should we we've talked around it, but we have not actually discussed Darkness at all, other than like. And yeah. I have uh, clips queued up for it for for that part of it there is a there's a 15 minute small documentary that they did interviewing <laughs> ridley scott and well i'm not going to watch the full 15 minutes but no, i, I figured i figured not I was no just, i yeah. pulled i pulled a couple clips from uh that and um i i'm one one thing that happened i guess is that the hell set that's smoking the entire time caught fire and oh, uh, <laughs> so i have a clip for later wow. on like towards oh, towards no. the end of the show about um ridley scott i guess was just kind of editing and doing whatever and then uh, that whole set caught fire. And I, I think really Scott's obviously most known for um, his sets, right? Like Alien, you yeah. know, we talked about how much Alien kind of um, is this like almost encapsulated world where it's like everything is so beautiful in that movie. And this movie, I think, is is what happens when Ridley Scott is allowed to, you know, create a movie that's not good, but still retains that like the, the set pieces well, or, or not. You know, it's only good if you care about story. It's really beautiful. <laughs> And yeah, it looks amazing. It's really enjoyable. It's just that it doesn't. It's, it's like doesn't go together. It's like it's you know, separate parts are good. But he, Tim Curry's character, <laughs> I think he does a really good demon. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the one thing with the dumping stuff. But he sure has the character spot on. Yeah, and that, that's the one thing. Even people that have universally negative reviews of this are like, "Oh, this movie is terrible." Tim Curry was great though. Like every like every everyone. Tim Curry, every movie with Tim Curry in it. Home Alone Two, Lost in New York. Oh, Tim Curry definitely stole yeah. stole the movie. Rest yeah, every movie with crap. Tim Curry, as they say, as they say, every movie with Tim Curry fucks. It absolutely fucks. <laughs> um, yeah, it does. So so so. Um, but bringing up the question, like about um, you know, it says a lot about you. Uh, uh, where you know Tim Curry from? This cues up this part of this uh, this clip or this documentary because. Ridley Scott does say where he knows Tim Curry from. 
And it's probably it's where you'd expect he knows Tim Curry from. I mean, it's it's this movie was in 1985, so of course Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, is on. You know, oh, no, not, not Annie, any, but <laughs> oh god, we don't talk about Annie. <laughs> you gotta love who directed that, by the way. But anyway, it's, that's a different discussion. Tim Curry. I am the Lord of Darkness. I require the solace of the shadows and the dark of the night. Sunshine is my destroyer. All this shall change. As Ridley and I continued to talk about each and every character for the film, we would always come back to the most important one, which was darkness. Uh, after exploring the, the possibility of doing it as a griffin, uh, uh, Ridley then realized that it would probably be best to have an actor uh, obviously involved in this because there's so many dramatic scenes and some of the best scenes in the movie are actually uh, uh, darkness's scenes uh, with uh, the actress Mia Sarah. I said, I thought, better be sexual, very sexy, this guy. So it better be a satire, half goat. And um, that was the brief. And he came back with this idea of this red creature with these almost water buffalo horns. There's been different attempts at, at, at making uh, uh, the devil personified in many different films throughout the years. I, I actually felt that none of them ever lived up to what my expectations of what the devil would be. And so this is actually probably one of my greatest opportunities in my film career to create this character. Darkness is a very difficult cast to guy to cast because he, his physical requirements and uh, his that also grand, you know, dramatic, melodram melodramatic requirements, uh, operatic capability, and all but opera short of singing, right? And um, I always remembered uh, Rocky Horror Show. And I thought, well, it's absolutely nothing to do with this. That's a brave thing to do that he did. Really brave. <laughs> <laughs> we are all animals, my lady. Damn right. That was cool. I mean, I think that even though he's not explicitly the devil, probably best depiction of the devil in movies, right? They, they, yeah, in that. Yeah. they use him all that like darkness look all the time in like other like media. So ripped off. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, what? Tenacious D. Tenacious D as the devil, it looks exactly like that, I think. Yeah. In, um, um, how about the, that uh, commercials <laughs> that uh, Ryan Reynolds did where he uh, uh, the devil starts dating 2020? Oh, yeah. I did not see those. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> it sounds I've never seen that going around the internet. I was like, wait a minute, that looks familiar. But yeah, the, the, this depiction uh, of, of of that archetype has become something that we automatically think of, oversized horns and all, right? Yeah. Like that. that, that, no, that, become... that, that fucking that fucking archetype. <laughs> Sorry, every time I do archetype on this season, I've had to do the Jordan Peterson voice. 
Yeah, I don't understand why you have those two linked, but it's a, it's a perfectly fine word, so I'm going to keep using it, and I guess we'll keep also, it. It is a good word. I know, I know that we're going to talk about the makeup, but Tim Curry basically was like, when he did it, he was like, no fucking heavy makeup. You guys saw what I had to go through with Legend. Yeah. None of that. No. No. Basic clown makeup, please. I mean, they, they were putting that on with like a steam shovel. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> the makeup that's a, that's a is lot. amazing. In the, and not just him, the, the, the fairy creatures also. The goblins and, and the little fairy guys, they look really good. Yeah. yeah. Really Barty and, and the other guys. Like, and, and, unbelievable. Like, as like what they're supposed to be. And, yeah. and Robert Picardo was Meg, the swamp lady. Yeah. And the swamp lady was pretty good. Meg, Meg Mucklebones. Like of- yeah, Meg Mucklebones the, uh, was, was the hologram doctor from Voyager. Interesting. Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. I didn't know that. I love him. Yes. Wow, that's hilarious. I mean, um, this did get nominated for an Academy Award for Best Makeup, I believe. Which is, I would not, I would not be surprised. that and like set design or cinematography would be like the best things it could be nominated for. Right. Because those things are objectively fantastic. Yeah. No, you're, yeah, so, story, you're story, uh, story flaws aside, like it's a dazzlingly beautiful movie. And it's been really funny to read some of the criticisms of it that are like, no, this is like a dazzlingly beautiful, incredibly like, uh, you know, the set design is incredible. The but set what pieces. is it about? Yeah, but like, so people, people be like, I did not like this movie. But also it was very well, like, it looks very good. You have to, like, everyone hurt. gives it props for how like awesome it looks, right? Yeah. Even when they're like, this was nonsense, but it looked cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My husband kept stopping and, and like, we'd have to get up and do something. We'd come back and he'd be like, that could be a picture. And that's like a poster. And it was yeah. not just one shot, but many shots, particularly before they get underground. But, you know, in the early, we just like yeah. the hill, like if it's the swamp, or whatever. It just looked like one poster after another. Like if it's a role playing game book, just all these screen caps of the yeah. movie could yeah. be like yeah. illustrations. <laughs> the, the, the director's cut is actually the, the colors like like stand out even better. Um, I, I will say, like, that that is like one of the the one reason to watch the director's cut is it's just for the colors. Colors are better, music is worse, and it's a lot longer. Or it feels a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, but you got more rubber for Gardner. than me. Yeah. So, so continuing on with this uh, with this um, uh, documentary thing that they did on it, this is the continuation of, of the Tim Curry part of this. And Let's I just think talk about that... Tim Curry for the rest of the time. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because I think Tim Curry is, is someone who's gotten famous for putting everything into every role that he's in, right? Like, his... <laughs> It, yep. Like you could be in a like Muppet Treasure Island is a perfect example. Yeah. Like, like it's a movie. It's a movie that you don't need. You don't need the Muppets to you know right. remake Treasure Island. Like it, it's Tim a crossover that doesn't need to happen. But the fact that Tim Curry puts everything into that role and is like so incredible at it is like holy shit. This is like a perfectly cast Muppet movie. Like that's yeah. fucking awesome. It's so perfect. it's it's funny that I think in this movie Tim Curry is doing the, the heavy lifting because on the other side of it you have. Tom Cruise, who, you know, I, I'm not saying Tom Cruise is like a bad actor, but it's never like you're like, oh, that Tom Cruise performance specifically blew me away. Yeah, you're like, it's just no. Tim Curry's that yeah. blows us away. I was really so impressed. It is light, it's light and dark almost, right? Like it's, it's yeah. you know, uh, yin and yang. Like like Tim Curry is someone who, who literally pulls these movies like out of the dirt into like a, a, you know, to a point where movie podcasts talk about it. Um, and then yeah. Tom Cruise, who every time I, I talk about Tom Cruise, I'm like, yeah, he was in the movie. Like, well, but 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 again, I, I'm gonna, 
I can't believe I'm saying this sentence. In defense of Tom Cruise, <laughs> the the light and dark oh, yeah. aspect <laughs> of this is huge, right? Yeah. And so part of Jack's whole thing is that he's a very like pure, naive soul, whereas darkness is very worldly, very yeah. cynical, very Which like. So I'm like Lily. You picked the wrong. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jack. He does actually does a good Jack for what Jack has been presented. You could complain. Right. We wish the character had more depth, but yeah, right. as the innocent forest boy, he he did an innocent forest boy. You know, I, mean, I, I thought you he know was... what he's been presented with, Jack. That's what he's been. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> I really like what Ridley Scott said about how brave Curry was in uh, Rocky Horror Picture, Picture Show. Because, of course, uh, I've always known about, right? I mean, it seems to me like I've always known about it. You know what I mean? It, yeah. Looking back, it's like it's just a thing, right? Here or a picture show. But the concept of thinking of before it was done and volunteering to be the guy who did it, when today there's lots of stuff like that. But there but was nothing like that, that at the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he had to like be like, I am going to full force own this. Right. Yeah. Like, like which, I'm going to go full Greta Garbo for what I'm going to do here, right? You know, just yep. like we're going to do this, and which kind of destroyed Tim Curry's like. So he he a lot of his roles since then have been kind of running away from the fact that because he was he was with Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, like as someone that's loved Rocky Horror Picture Show since the first time I saw it, since like you know even hearing about it, he was with Rocky Horror Picture Show when it wasn't Rocky Horror Picture Show when it was just Rocky Horror Show. Mm -hmm. He was the person that opened up on the West End um, as like a, a stage play that nobody was really even paying attention to or nobody he's, cared he's about. He's one of the few actors who's who've done the like stage production and the film production. Yeah. So, but by the time that was over and everyone's like Rocky R Picture Show, Rocky R Picture Show, it, it was, and he was getting other roles. He kind of ran away from it. He's like, this is something that's taken over my life for a decade yeah. to the point where I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to like. There's there's even like rumors that the reason that he got kind of heavier as time went on is because he didn't want to be cast as like this uh you know in, in that kind of role anymore he's like i don't want people to even find me attractive um because don't worry you know, tim you're still attractive no but like you well, know, it failed <laughs> i have never thought before about how much of the movie because i think of it more as kind of the camp but how much of it is actually his performance that makes yeah. it worth and he's incredible about. he's Which it's like funny. that's an incredible role and it's like but I, but someone like Tim Curry, who's really good at acting, right? Like he's amazing in every performance he does. I could understand how that like iconic role. You're like, well, I'm not just Doctor Frankenfurter. I'm yeah, not. I can do like other a, things. Yeah. I'm yeah. not just a horny like a like like a horny uh, bisexual icon. I'm yeah. so much more than that. <laughs> I'm also a horny, probably bisexual demon. <laughs> Wait, uh, there, there was a, a film of a, a TV show of the live uh, film, live production of Right Horror Figure Show with Anthony Head playing. Oh, really? I must say he was surprisingly good. Well, no, yeah, no, I, Craig, I think Craig Ferguson was in that production too. He played uh, Brad. Well, yeah, Tony Head was. was uh, it was funny to think of him in such Rico. a different light, you know? Tony Head was uh, Tim Curry's understudy in, in uh, the Rocky Horror production and on the uh, 
on oh, stage. I didn't so, know that. So like, it's it's not a surprise. He's actually he's done going. it. Well, honest to gosh. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. No, he he. Um, and when Tim Curry left the production to go make the movie, he took over as lead. So he. No, no wonder he was so good. Yeah, yeah. no. Did, did, did any of you guys? I realize this. We're veering off. I'll try to make sure. Did any of you guys ever see VR five? Oh yeah. He that's was right. so sexy in that. He was so different than he was in Buffy. He was like such an oh, wait, 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 guy. Wait. In Buffy, he plays such a calm, kind of stolid librarian. Yeah. But in VR5, where he was Oliver, he was like daring, and you didn't know what was going on with him. I yeah, think he yeah, was, he was more versatile than, than pe people give him credit for. Yeah, because in um, uh, Highlander, he, he also had a similar type role um, where, where, where he was... Um, uh, Highlander the series, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. you for play, I've seen that, but I, I don't think I realized it was him. Yeah, and, no, he, he was like, uh, he was great in the one episode he was in. Imagine if up. they were to ever redo Legend, knowing that Tim Curry had to wear all that makeup. Well, they just CG it. Yes, I mean, that's, they that's would, the he would, he, whoever would play him would be like a, wearing a hippo. So, so, <laughs> so when I went back to college like uh, t 10 years ago, um, uh, that's where I met uh, Trey Watson, who's going to be on our Totoro episode coming up. Um, but uh, I, uh, I was hanging out with a bunch of people watching Legend. I'm like, guys, you have to see this scene. And they just showed him the scene where he comes out of the mirror. And, and such a good um, all these guys, you know, all these kids only know like CG movies because because uh, they, they, they were like, you know, um, you know, 20 years old and. You know, and they're like, and they're like, why do, why do, uh, why wonder, uh, man you know, pressuring us to watch Legends? I don't, I don't. <laughs> and they saw that scene where he comes out of the mirror and their jaws hit the floor and just like, this is done 1985. There's no computers in this. And they're just like, oh, like, cause that's such a gorgeous scene. How, how, yeah, they did how that. do they do that? Well, I'm assuming there's going to be a clip about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They're trying to get us on, on point, not once, but twice. And that's <laughs> legit. Most are too afraid to see it. Tim has the ability of going uh, over the top uh, dramatically, you know, and, and, and his abilities in terms of being, being a, a performer are so amazing. And his face is so animated. And, and he, you know, when you see him in Rocky Horror Picture Show, you just, you just can't stop looking at him. You know, you just, this guy is a caricature, right? And he's brilliant. So I was thinking, oh, my God, I get to put makeup on Tim Curry. You know, I get to make him up as the devil. I said, Ridley, I go, I don't think that this this you could have anybody better. So I met with him. He was really intrigued and said, uh, yes, OK, sounds weird, but OK, I'll do it. And uh, then little by little, he gradually realized what was going to happen to him. <laughs> and I would sort of gradually see drawings of, of, of where it was going, you know. <laughs> and we had <laughs> terrible negotiations about what bits of me would still be visible. I fought and fought and begged to have my own eyes. As he said once, oh, God, you're taking my only thing left away from me. You're taking my eyes away uh, because we put in these full scleroid lenses. Because by the time you put all the gear on, your head goes from here to here from here to here. So everything's got to come up. So we put in full scleroid lenses with a nurse. She's like cutting a half a ping pong ball in half and sticking it in. And 
these cat slits, the vertical slits in the eye. My eyes were, were these total contact lenses, like a sort of wolf's eyes, I mean, the cat's eyes, which was fairly painful to, to be fitted because basically, you know, they took a mold of your eye and then they stuck it in your eye. And if it hurt, they sort of scraped at it a bit until it stopped hurting. Initially, it was quite amusing, actually. You'd go, oh, God, complain, complain, complain. And then finally, I remember one day, he was, Jesus Christ, you want me to And he put him in, he stood up, and he turned, he faced the mirror and went, oh. <laughs> he, he, he liked the way he looked, finally. Quite the trooper there. That's a, I mean, God. Wow. <laughs> that's, yeah, a, that's, that's a lot of effort. Amazing, considering how much makeup and stuff, how much and of his acting comes over through it. You he's know? still so yeah. expressive. Yeah. Even after all that, right? Fantastic. Yeah, and you can still person. tell it's Tim Curry, too, which, like, I, I feel like a lot of yeah. actors, you could, like, completely dress them up. And then it's like, you know, it's a, it's a performance from whatever you're watching. And with yep. Tim Curry, it still is like a Tim Curry performance. I remember I mean, first seeing this movie when I was like 12, 11, 12 years old. And at the moment I heard, I was like, that's Tim Curry. That that has to be. I'm like, I bet that's Tim Curry. And the internet, thank you. I was right. of, course, it, of course, it helps that he says, oh, Rocky. <laughs> I will say for credits to Hellboy. I knew that was Ron Perlman immediately. Not the new Hellboy that refused to acknowledge, though. I was like, I don't even know who that is. I don't care. By the way, Ooh. shout out to Ron Perlman's uh, performance in Don't Look Up. So fucking good. Oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you ever seen the inside of a man's rib cage? <laughs> as, a movie that I didn't, as a movie that I didn't necessarily, like, enjoy as much as I think some people did. I, I, I did enjoy it, but, like, you know, some of the uh, roles, I think, in Don't Look Up are amazing. Like, the, the people, like, whoever they got to play characters like Chris Evans. I hated yeah. that. I found that so funny when he was in that, but <laughs> it's a funny scene. What's like that? Does everything have to be self? whatever? I'm not no, because really because, don't want to get into it because I, I got, I got what the reference was. It's the yeah. website that Chris Evans put up and I, and I thought it was hilarious and I was laughing really hard. And then I was like, I'm way too online. It, it works. It works on like it, it works on like three levels. By the way, yeah. I watched it uh, with Lindsay, who had, had no idea what the fuck that was, and she thought that was hilarious too. So, but anyway, uh, you can still tell it's Tim Curry. He's still acting his ass off, and like honestly, like I don't think it'd be possible to overact in that role. But he is yeah, giving yeah. it is all. He does it really yeah. well. Yeah, he had to like stow in the like... baths to take off the makeup too. <laughs> like. It would not come off. He had to like soak, like give us, like they had to like soak. Oh, you mean like, like oh, I thought that. Was, okay, I thought it was a metaphor. I was, I was trying to yeah. figure it out. Like, <laughs> it actually, was I, was like, I don't know what that means. Off. I need to wipe the demon off me. <laughs> I mean, I was, I, Darkness, I, gotta get rid of it. I was like, is that like soaking with the Mormons or the? And then I was, I was just like, pop, 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 I was like, oh no, she's literally talking about taking that. Okay. Soaking tomorrow. Good morning. I would jump on Tim Curry's mattress. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how the the makeup, like I get to put makeup on Tim Curry. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, though, looking at it in the context of Tim Curry kind of being a little bit miserable, I think about his role in Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of being the thing he's most known for. Like, it is funny to be like, oh yeah, we cast him because of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show. We wanted to put makeup on the guy from Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> like. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, it's the complete opposite of like Hunt for Red October, where he's in a bunch of scenes 
doesn't speak and then uh you know spoiler he's the uh the villain at the end yeah that's why i'm like that's why i totally forgot he was in hunt for Red october because we watched <laughs> that in school one time for some reason i'm like <laughs> oh red october that, that's the you? that's the the substitute <laughs> teacher is hung over from the night before so let's throw a movie on decision yeah hunt for <laughs> yep, Red october. Like, it's, it's history it's fine that's exactly what happened it's yeah. sean connery it's history Oh, That's I saw. I saw Enemy Mine that way. The the with a was it Lou Gossett Jr. and mm-hmm. uh, and there and yeah. That's a, that was an interesting movie to see. And like I saw that the same day as I saw Buckaroo Banzai for the first time. Um, <laughs> it was I knew, a gonna, I knew you were going to work it in somewhere with this movie. <laughs> I feel like this is this this is this month's Buckaroo Banzai. It probably is <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Can we? I, oh. I bet that Tim Curry's a lot happier these days. When I mean, he's probably finally realizing that. Yes, I, I doubt he's a lot happier these days. He had a stroke and he's in a wheelchair, and his face. His well, face thanks, Forrest. But the same, like he's finally like probably comes to terms that yes, I'm Frank Verter. I am darkness. I am that concierge from Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. I am awesome. Only that, but there are a lot of people who, you know, Muppet Song versus Long John Silver, or I me. Mean, He's now been in so many things and he's done so well. Nigel Thornberry. Not everybody even thinks of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it probably just happened when he was talking about something else. Yeah. And I love the fact that he was almost the Joker but got sick and Mark Hamill had to play uh, the Joker. Man, that would have been a good choice too. Oh, <laughs> Batman. How could you? <laughs> somebody, somebody, uh, one of my friends when I was younger, um, which. I didn't. I never told them that I was as into Rocky Horror Picture Show as I was when I was like a, like literally like the beginning of my like adolescence. I that was like my favorite movie, and um, and I was I was somebody was like one time was like, hey, you know that guy from uh, Muppet Treasure Island in those movies, that Tim Curry guy. And I was like, yeah, they're 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 like the way your eyes bug out kind of looks like him. And I remember I don't think they meant it as a compliment, but I remember taking it as the big <laughs> the biggest really compliment. That's really cool. That's funny. It's like me, Tim Curry. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah, get your bug your eyes out. <laughs> getting getting back to this wild ass movie. Uh, Wait, which movie are we talking about? I've lost track. Think- <laughs> and it's been a while since uh, since I've seen the the director's cut. I don't remember it adding that much in terms to like what they're up to, like in in the in darkness's lair. Like I remember there being more of it, but like not really getting a clearer idea of why they're torturing people or why everything's on it's fire necessarily. Telling. It's just was. like this- they kind of said the tour at, at the beginning. There was something kind of implying the torture was part of the whole darkness thing. Yeah, they just uh, like it. Though, I, I, I kind of felt like that was. It's like the whole like um uh I, I watched uh, Eric uh the Viking recently, which is a terrible terrible movie, but uh, Tim Curry no uh, not Tim Curry I'm sorry um John Cleese <laughs> John Cleese uh, plays this this uh, one Viking guy that's not, that's a, that's he a just Terry sits Gilliam there and he's movie, like right? uh yeah it's a Terry Gilliam movie yeah all right yeah with, with uh, Eric uh oh, what's his name um, Eric Idle no well I think he's he's a no. No, Eric Idle's not in this one. Uh, Michael Stoltz. Palin there too. I, I was, was going to Michael there. Palin We're is all in the it. Monty Python. Characters. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but uh, um, the guy, uh, Bob Roberts was was the lead as the as a, a Viking. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> all these Tims in my head. But anyways, no. Um, uh, the whole point I brought this movie up. 
is is uh, John Cleese's part where he's uh, basically his job is to torture people. So he's just like, you know, he's just sitting there bored out of his mind. Like, I guess we'll flay you and then um, uh, light you on fire. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you for flaying me. Um, I got to well, tell yeah, you, I like someone, the, uh, someone from New York, I, I also have all yes, the Tim's, sir, I also have have all Tim's in my head. I imagine you know? that this Timberlands torture chamber case, is much but, like that, know. where, where <laughs> Tim Curry is like, oh, we're just going to flay you and then light you on the fire. And he's like, thank you for flaying me first, sir. Yeah, like seriously, like everyone's like, yeah. what, what? Again, it brings back to like, who is the point of this whole movie? He just falls in love with the princess. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what happened out of nowhere. I remember yeah. thinking, I was like, oh. my like, dream is of eternity so well. with like, you. <laughs> he makes it super believable, even though you're kind of puzzled as to why it happened. Yeah, he's like, it's like as if he does fall in love with her. Like, but it's Tim Curry, so he's a good actor. I but like, there's been a scene like, of something like him looking into a globe and seeing her talk to the unicorn or something, because you don't yeah. know why he fell in love with her. There's yeah. no reason to it. Yeah. Uh, slim pickings apparently around there you see the you see the competition what <laughs> <laughs> has got a bucket on his head oh i love i love the way that you touch that unicorn i'm so enthralled yeah, he's just not into uh, girl boss goblins yeah. Uh, yeah well now we know why una's hiding you know <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, so that's another role that's another role to, to, to touch on in this because that just seemed like it was I, like what? What was that trying to accomplish? The, the fact that you know we're supposed to think that oh well, everybody wants to fuck Tom Cruise too. Like I don't again, Slim Pickens. <laughs> I, I actually right? think that's the best scene in the movie. I don't know why the the scene where she tries to tempt him. That one felt like a fairy tale. Because yeah. that's the kind of crap that fairies get up to, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, they're and not all, they're they're like all sweet I just I did that whole little bit. I that's what was. I remember that from when I saw it years ago. I've always thought that was just one of the best moments in the whole movie. Yeah, I just wish well, he bit him. <laughs> and it's it's it's. What kind do you of think? Like, what did you think fairies do? They bite. Yeah, it's a noose. And like you kind of, th he's kind of like game for it, and then kind of like, oh no, 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 like yeah. like like. I, I agree. I thought that scene was good, and I thought, you know. Again, if you think about like the, the the temperament of fairies, then like it is very much in character, right? And then and yeah. it to be all like, oh, all pissed off about it too, and like acting out, yeah. and you know, I, I did think. Meanwhile, everyone, hold on. Meanwhile, everyone okay. is like, hey, we need you to do this thing that's very important, that's mm -hmm. gonna like save everything. Oh yeah, well, I'm kind of pissed off that like I didn't get to like you know smooch Tom Cruise and his weird ass non corrected teeth. You know, I don't know. The fiery scene just seemed like they're at. Wait, fuck! I, did, did I just <laughs> the I, fireys I, in this <laughs> would give it a full extra star from chili me. down with the fire gang. I would be <laughs> fiery's also would David would, Bowie's uncorrected teeth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's British. He's David yeah, Bowie's it's, it's, it's he did fix it after uh, Labyrinth, though. Other than oh. tonally, the song not fitting with the Tangerine Dream soundtrack, put different soundtrack to the Fiery's little song where they introduce themselves. First of all, just like everyone else in this movie, everyone assumes that they're known. Like, okay, everyone knows it's the Fiery's. It's a, it's a, it's the Fire Gang, of course. They have a song. You know, like <laughs> everyone knows it. To sing something. I know they got me and Sarah to sing something. I, I, I think for the I think part. the Fiery's. So the the Fiery's in uh, Labyrinth. We're talking about Labyrinth, yeah. 
Yeah. No, but so the fiery, so the fireys and labyrinth, I think, is an amazing. Um, like after learning the fact that Jim Henson originally had them as the wild things, and Maurice Sendak was like, "I don't want my characters in this movie. This movie, like you, you're having my characters paw all over this girl. Like I don't. That's a it's, it's a children's it's a children's book, which makes sense at the beginning when she has where the wild things are in her room, and then you have like, oh well, in this universe, like the you know the wild things characters are like these weird horny like you know group of people that don't know what the fuck is going on i thought the who throw their heads around like like salvaging salvaging that though with that scene where you're still like oh yeah that's like one of the best scenes in the movie is an incredible choice yeah. this movie this movie kind of feels like there's a lot of decisions that needed to be salvaged with these characters that like they didn't like it, it's interesting watching these kind of on back to back movie night Fantasia episodes, not back-to-back movie Jim night Henson extravaganza before. episodes, but, you know, because the last miss, one was fucking mate one. <laughs> I missed miss by, like, ten minutes owning a fiery plushie once where the legs came on and off, and I, like, just got there too late to buy one. And, oh, know, that's... I always wow. felt bad. Girl, <laughs> where are you going with a pillow like oh. that? <laughs> a score. But but I didn't by the way, I didn't get to say where are you going with the head like that in our labyrinth episode. And that Which, was the best line not, in the entire the fucking movie. Now you can say because, it now. <laughs> Just say it in every episode from here forth. Even though like, where are you going with the head like that? <laughs> I know what we should do. Take off her head. <laughs> but but so okay so then let's talk about uh so all right so una i i think that's perfectly fairy like behavior even as annoying as it is for like the plot getting advanced but like and, yeah. and it's quite fairy like to insist on things being fairy like even when something dire is going on yeah when there's it, like it really fits the fairy mood yeah like have you not noticed what's going on like i don't care i'm a fairy i don't but, give a damn exactly about it. <laughs> that was, was there's a lot going on in this movie do we feel that like I feel like the, strangely uh, with the rest of like the crew, <laughs> with with it's the rest ball. of the uh, uh, of the uh, of the pantsless gang, uh, I feel like there's almost too much comedic relief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there, there's almost too much wacky antics going on with like you know I mean there's like I get it there's a character called Screwball in this like I understand but like it seems like, like do you think that there's too many wacky antics or is that just me? I, I think what I think it is much wacky antics or if it's just that once they get underground the fairy creatures except for that one scene don't seem to really have much point anymore you know it's like they're yeah. flying up in the forest yeah. but once they get down there I'm not you almost think that Jack should have left them behind I mean they don't <laughs> They don't really do anything except for com. I don't think there's too much comedy relief. So much as that there's nothing but comedy relief with them. It's, it's, now, they they kind of would be nice if they'd had something a little uh, more like Una's scene to balance it, where they did yeah. either a fairy-like thing or something important, or one of them sacrificed their life or something. You know, I mean, it kind of makes it seem kind of frivolous. This it's movie kind of seems adverse to kind of killing any character too, which is an interesting, I think, choice, right? Like, except the, for the, Meg, who just gets got like almost immediately after being too, like, like, you know, when you get to the point with darkness and Lily, it's like, woo, seduction happening, and then screwball, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I, I do say that. I mean, there's some good, there's some good lines that you know that I vote we run like hell. I second the motion. That's a good line, you know. Yeah, yeah but that's like you're supposed <laughs> to have stakes. You're supposed to have stakes in the fact that they seem to be paired together in all these different. 
yeah. uh, things and then they never agree on whatever it is. The guy's like, oh, I want to go east. I would go, uh, yeah. I go west. Like they're kind yeah. of always disagreeing. They're like, oh, we're, we're teamed up together again. But you don't know who those characters are ahead of time. So you're not like, all right, well, I feel like these are characters that it's funny that they got paired up together because they don't like each other. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's like Abbott and Costello in Fantasia or something, right? Yeah. Is, is kind of how I feel it's meant to be, but it doesn't quite get there. But it's like they've made up their own Abbott and Costello that we have no stakes in, right? Like, or we have yeah. no, like, like, yeah. they're just oh, like. Yeah. <laughs> it also, they also, it's like, it's almost like there's two or three different separate and climaxes to the movie because they have this goofy sunlight thing they spend a lot of time on. Yeah. But they do. They do. Like the whole thing with the, the, the Frisbee shields where right, they're setting right. it up and you're like, you know, the second you see one of them throw it and the fucking guy's sleeping, you're like, one of them's going to make a big noise. Like you yeah. automatically know. And they, they just play it and like, nope, throw this one, throw that one. It's like, why are you spending so, so much time on this? We know we're at the fireworks factory. It's almost <laughs> a technical it's like when, you know, instead of climbing the glass mountain, you blow it up. I mean, it's almost a technical solution. Yeah. And then in the middle of this technical solution, he picks up the unicorn horn. Right. And you're like, wait, didn't they establish that was like all super powerful? Why isn't getting the unicorn horn and using that to save the day the climax? We yeah. spent all this time just cock the shields and setting them up. We need to make sure that we have a payoff for it. Right. And Tom Cruise right. uses the uses the oh, sword right. for the first time and is like, "Oh, that's the sword." That's yeah. how this works. I By the way, I would have done well to forget the entire shield and sunlight thing and have them at trying to get the unicorn horn and, and have the unicorn horn that they went to the trouble of having the story be about. Kind of be the thing that, that would make more sense, in, you know. Yeah. I think it would have fit the mood better. The other one kind of doesn't quite fit the mood. But also, nice. why do they... So he wants the unicorn horn, the alicorn, right? Like, that's yeah. the one that they really want. I, it's a cool word. I like that word. Yeah, like, yeah. We got to get back the alicorn. They only use it once, but whatever. It's cool. Um, yeah. It's, a cool, it's cool the one time they no, did Okay, okay, then, whatever. The, 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 wait, I, I'm setting something up. So the female, the female unicorn seems to also have a horn. Why don't they want that horn? And then... Tim Curry's like, oh, well, you know, this unicorn has the power of creation, which is like, you know, I guess it's the, it's the feminist message to this whole thing. But so that horn's trash. The other horn's all powerful. It, it, <laughs> like, how do they know the difference between the two unicorns? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. They're just like, oh, this is my unicorn dick. Like, yeah, I, I thought he was going to kill the second unicorn and then take her horn. I mean, I, I don't think it was that he didn't care about it. He just hadn't gotten to it yet. Yeah, but they, they seem like like that like Blix is like, which I like the name Blix, but yeah. Blix is like, well, forget about it. That's a female unicorn. It doesn't matter as much. Yeah. And he's like, she still has the power of creation. And it's that's like, really good it's almost set that up, yeah. though. Like, I, there's still just a unicorn running around. Are you just supposed yeah. to forget about the second and, unicorn? And then there's, okay, so he really wants to kill these unicorns. And I understand his idea of wanting to get Lily to kill. I mean, that makes sense. But yeah. the time between when they brought the unicorn in and when Lily puts is in the black dress, why didn't he kill her immediately? I mean, what was he keeping her the unicorn around for? You know, what I mean? <laughs> it He's wasn't trying like to apply his charms. Powerful if I kill her at sundown or something. You know what I mean? Just, you can't, you can't kill it yet. I haven't gotten laid. <laughs> <laughs> well, also too, she Lily was like, I want to kill the unicorn. Like, 
I'm well, like, that was after Lily gets yeah. the black dress on. But I'm just saying, yeah. why they brought it in and they just kept it in the dungeon next to the fire? I mean, why did they kill it immediately? You know, they, Look, they, yeah, it was a big like, day for darkness. Know. All right, there was like a thousand years of just sitting around, and then suddenly everything's happening one day. You want to give it a little time. Well, I guess right? what I'm thinking that special it's, the most, it's the most memeable moment, by the way, when he goes big D, and it's like you think of like you know. <laughs> Like like girl girls looking at their DMs and social media like on any social media app. <laughs> I do think that the the unicorn the male and female unicorn power dynamic that is just sort of like, well that's it how it is it's like the opposite of like the dark crystal thing where it's like well of course I have wings I'm a girl like it's just sort of like the yeah. Op- like, yeah. what that's not fair like, <laughs> like why is that the answer that's not an answer uh, the difference but- between me and you I have wings and you don't. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I have horns. Well, um, and I just, I, I yeah. it's going to seem passion now, but when there is that, that fight that happens where Tom Cruise, like, suddenly is a kickboxer, at least I believe that because he spends all, all his days squatting. So he's got the leg strength, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's like I've been using these, I've been using these bad boys for years. I Doesn't might not know how be to use shown sword, that, but I know how to use my goddamn fucking legs. Yeah, um, he kicks the shit out of that dude. All right, I so the impression yeah. though that if a writer had double. just taken about ten minutes <laughs> to sit down and write half a dozen additional lines, the movie would make eighty-five percent more sense. You know, <laughs> and you would think that would be in the director's cut, you know. <laughs> But it isn't. It isn't. No, There's they're, just they're more of more nonsense. High on their supply, man. They were high on their own supply, and just like <laughs> they wanted like, to copy. No, uh... We need more glitter. We don't need more lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Up the glitter budget by twenty thousand dollars. You know what they did need? A little more cocaine, because I think you could take a couple bumps, and you could be like, "Oh, we got to explain this too." And you know what I mean? Like yeah. cocaine decisions. If they're not, they're, they're both on. They're both on coke and not on enough coke. And it needs to be balanced out. And they didn't balance it out. Anyway, I, I've been trying to set this up. Um, my last clip that I have is about the hell set catching on fire. And uh, I think that this is this is a fun this is a fun clip in the sense of so they continued on this for like 10 minutes in this documentary. I only put I clipped three minutes of it. But um I guess Ridley Scott like realized, hey, I can't really do anything about this. I just have to go play tennis. And this live my life while the while the set burns. So this is kind of a funny a funny clip about you know he's just like eh, whatever. So I don't I don't know how passionate he was about this movie either. But um, some people just want to play tennis while the set burns, Forrest. That's <laughs> like a good line. <laughs> you know what? Ridley Ridley fiddled while set burned. <laughs> tennis while set burns. Curry from the makeup room. You know, here's darkness for the first time, walking with him on on the gravel street of Pinewood to enter into the uh, soundstage of darkness's lair for the first time and to see what actually Ridley Scott's hell looked like was probably one of the most thrilling moments of my entire life. It was mind blowing. I mean, this huge, beautiful fireplace with these giant, you know, flames that would come out of it these huge columns and the giant doors and Tim's chair that's actually, you know, comes half alive, you, you know, and, and to see him actually enter into that, it, it, it became like one of these things where you actually were living in uh, a fantasy and, and, and actually uh, uh, give you an incredibly strange sort of ethereal feeling, which actually the movie does when you watch it. 
No. 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 The day the set burned down was, I would think, about three weeks before coming to the end of using the Bond stage, which was the big forest. We'd been using a lot of gas in there for the fire. We just finished the fairy dance, so you have a gas line through to a bonfire. You don't want to have to light it each time. You want to control it, so you just turn on gas bottles and it goes up. Well, I think what happened is the fumes gradually built in the roof, which was 70 feet up, and the roof is 350 feet long and 200 feet wide, but it's filled with a polystyrene structure which looks like a forest. And it's filled with pigeons now because I've been in there for weeks. And every time I turn a pigeon loose, they don't come back. You don't whistle and they come back. They go into the trees and they live up there, right? So I'm in the editing room and I hear this pitter patter down the corridor. Somebody shot past the end like a Terry Toon cartoon. Came back and said the Bond stage is on fire. So I said,、um, you know, basically expletive, you know, you right. And carried on editing. He said, "No, no, no the bond station on fire." So I walked out down the corridor, and as I got to the end, I could see over the buildings this giant column of smoke, like a battleship was sinking or an aircraft carrier. I walked up to the car park, and there's all the whole fire brigade. Then there's already three television helicopters up there photographing it, and all my gas bottles were exploding inside the studio. So they had steel corrugated walls. So every time a bottle went, the walls ballooned. It's kind of beautiful. And the fireman said, "Is this yours?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "I think you've lost it."、And、I said, "I think I have, mate." And I, I went immediately, and because this is what I always do, it's like Zen. I went and played tennis. So、uh, Arnon Milchan knew in 15 minutes the bomb stage. And this was like 5 a.m. in L.A. And Arnon had called up saying, "You know, where's Ridley?" He said, "He's got to play tennis." And he said. And、there's a long pause. Apparently, he said, "You know something? He's absolutely right." <laughs> wow! All right, well, there you go. That was great. Wow! <laughs> so, Doug, you said on one、tennis? hand, you think that's just crazy. On the other hand, really, what else would have helped? You know? <laughs> well, and and I think that this kind of、uh, this short documentary or whatever kind of sets this up as you know.、Um, This is a genre of film that's going on throughout the '80s, and this is kind of the Ridley Scott version. And like each set is like, oh, I can kind of create these incredible set pieces, which is what he's kind of most known for.、Um, and I can kind of, you know, like it's kind of a, it's a fever dream in some sense, right? Like it's like, well, I'm gonna kind of mix the, you know, the biblical and the fantasy together and create the story. And it's not necessarily something that I have.、Um, An incredible,、uh, you know, I, it's not necessarily a, a movie that I'm like really, really passionate about myself. But everyone's kind of doing it, and I want to do my version of it. And when you look at the movie that way, it starts to make a lot of sense. I think、yeah. you can't help wondering if maybe the original script had a couple more scenes that were supposed to be shot there <laughs> that would have made sense of stuff that they、yeah. had to leave out because they couldn't really afford to rebuild like, it. You can tell that Ridley Scott was not all that passionate about this. Movie, because I mean, if it's a really Scott flick, I expect it to be good. Like, I mean, not saying that movie's not good, but I'm just saying, like, you, 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 you would expect there to be more from a Ridley Scott film. Yeah, and he's just following a trend. Like, he's following, he's he's riding the wave of like the '80s fantasy film. So, so one like, of one of the things out of the way when when this movie kind of failed, when this movie kind of didn't make a lot of money. Um,、uh, one thing that I was reading the other day was like. 
this is the moment that kind of Hollywood decided we're not really that passionate about making these fantasy films anymore. Now we did uh, Labyrinth and we did Princess Bride, which are both movies that are in this genre that happened after this. And we had this conversation in a, in a group chat yesterday. But when you look the at extinction the extinction event of legend, <laughs> yeah. Well, so when you look at uh, Princess Bride was funded, um, it was distributed by uh, Fox, I believe, um, 20% sure. Like, so that it, they did have dis- distribution rights, but the movie, the money to make the movie itself came from Norman Lear, which makes perfect sense because All in the Family and Rob Reiner is the one that directed it. But it, so the funding sources were not like, we're going to put a bunch of money into uh like you know a hollywood movie it was more about the fact that rob reiner had read the princess bride book and liked it a lot and wanted to make a movie based on it and it's kind of like you know um he's coming off of like multiple successes where it's like well you're like you can kind of you're we trust you to make something like that the the second one is um labyrinth which similarly jim henson it's like anybody would like we watched uh the labyrinth beginning of of the thing with brian henson jim henson's son who's like no anybody at that point would have agreed to be in a jim henson movie and he's kind of trying to update what he did with dark crystal so it's interesting was willow before or after willow willow was actually three years after this because willow is the one that i remember as you know they'd done science fiction they tried to do this huge fantasy and it just never really gelled it was seemed like after that you didn't you didn't see them as many, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no. So, but it, so I was reading something that said, "Hey, this is kind of the death of the Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood version of this kind of movie." And at first, it was like, "Well, two of the movies that we've done in, in the show have um, come after this." But then you look at like the actual funding sources and who's actually the ones making it. And it's like, well, it's not Hollywood. Yeah. There's a, there's a rationale and a story behind it. And I think that's, that's a good point. That was my first thought. It was like, Oh no, there's plenty more after this. But it was like, Oh yeah. But they all kind of have an asterisk as to like why, how they got made or like Hollywood and princess bride. Hollywood thinks princess bride was a bomb. Right. Because financially it didn't do all that well at first. Mainly I I dragged my husband to see it because I'd read the book. And I'm like, you're going to love this. And he looked at the posters and the ads and he was completely convinced he wouldn't because they, they didn't sell it well at all. Right. Uh, but it was wonderful. And of course it built and built. So when they were doing Neil Gaiman's Stardust, he wanted them to mention Princess Bride in the ads ahead of time. Yeah. Because he thought people who liked Princess Bride would like oh. Stardust. That's and then Stardust is a movie that didn't, I don't, mention Stardust it. didn't do as well as 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 it could have right Right. um hollywood would not mention princess bride because it was a bomb they hadn't caught on to the fact that it had become this favorite that everyone can quote yeah everyone loves yeah stardust did horribly i remember gaiman put up on his on his blog the good news is we made three million in russia and the bad news is we made three million in america (laughs) i was i was incredibly like hyped as a kid to see stardust because wow. um because my mom was really into neil gaiman and was like this is a movie that everyone's gonna be like really love and That's i and i i think that it was a fun movie i don't remember it the way that i remember princess bride which is the same way i think that your husband did where um yeah. it, it's kind of like i remember seeing like having like friends parents be like oh you got to watch the princess bride or something like being at a friend's house and and i was like that's gonna be like the same way that in uh the beginning that they're like is this a kissing book 
in my yeah, head, I was yeah. like, this is going to be a kissing movie that I don't like. This is a movie about but princess. it's so good. You know, it yeah, really and, isn't what you think it's going to be. And notice how, like, every, like, If 80... they would just have put Princess Pride in the ad, they might have got the right audience, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I Princess Pride and uh, Gay Robert De Niro. Like, they know that every long. 80s fantasy film is now, like, a cult classic. Even Legend is yeah. it considered, like, a, has a cult following yeah. now. Probably because of Tim Curry, but mostly because of Tim Curry and the visuals, and, mm -hmm. and but that's enough. That's enough, right? Well, expect the visuals. I mean, Tom Cruise, much as we mock him, is a huge star. Yeah, yeah. and exactly. Tim Curry did a really good job, and certain parts of it are really good. It just doesn't quite hang together, but it's good and, enough. And then Mia Sarah does Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is like the pinnacle, like '80s teen right. like movie. Yeah, yeah I, I know. I also one of my favorite. My favorite 80s movies. Uh, that's great. Uh, yeah. we, we've all taken shots at the script, uh, and none more so than me. But uh, just one factoid here William Hortzberg, Hortzberg is the uh, uh, writer of this, more known for his novel Falling Angel, which was later made into the movie Angel Heart, which I quite like. Ooh. That's the, uh, the, the dark, um, noir. Uh, devil in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, uh, Louisiana. Uh, Angel Heart's really good. That's a, but it's, I would never think that was written by the same dude as, as this funny. nonsense. I wonder if one of the problems is that fantasy, it has its own logic. And if you're not a fantasy person, you don't necessarily pick up on it right away. Mickey Rourke and yeah. Robert De Niro both in that, by the way. And uh, it's a very niche, like, like people, people either love it or hate it. And, and you you see in Labyrinth in the opening in the early parts like what is it, is it Beth the, the the woman who who Lily goes to talk to in something like Beth the things she says are spot on what somebody in Ireland would say where she's saying the spriggan and I forget what else she mentions but so so it's like they got certain parts of it right spot on but then they just. It's like no, it was no, no. written by someone who doesn't actually write fantasy. I, I think I think Nelly is the Nelly yeah, is the is the, is well, the, yeah. Lady. the yeah, yeah, and again, Angel Heart, which is a, a one of my favorite. I guess they call it a neo noir, but like it it's doesn't have it's fuck all to do with fantasy. Like so, yeah. it's like something yeah. where I wonder if that's like just like it was outside of his wheelhouse or what. But yeah. I, I think really interestingly, noir has its own the same way fantasy does right like noir has its own rules of rules and yeah. logic like when yeah. when you watch a noir movie like there's and i think we kind of uh we we touched on this uh, in multiple ones that we've done but like there there is kind of a logic to it and a mood to it and an aesthetic in a lot of the same ways that when it comes to fantasy there's a, a logic to it and a mood and an aesthetic uh genre wise so i think it's interesting that someone who does a really good neo-noir movie and book might not necessarily be um which when it's a when it's a book they they call it uh pulp but you know that like that yeah, kind of right. genre might not fully translate into somebody I, doing I realize a, this yeah. is dangerous territory but you mean someone who does a really really good noir like brick might not be good for star wars <laughs> brick is great that's what i'm gonna say uh, brick is really brick is awesome. the genre absolutely you know Anyway, yeah. it was it was a crazy day on Tatooine when all of a sudden I was. Uh, <laughs> they had done that for Last Jedi. That could have been really good. 
<laughs> ben Kenobi. I knew that name from somewhere. Who Obi Wan? Obi Wan Kenobi. There was a Kenobi in my neighborhood somewhere. I didn't. I didn't quite know where. <laughs> would have been much better anyway oh. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let that one slide and we'll move on <laughs> we'll move on <laughs> because we're never we're never gonna get back to legend if nah, it, 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 it sounds like so so setting up the the letterbox uh one-liners um one of the I- ideas that come up in one of these is that this uh you know this movie might legend might be um a little more interesting like to someone who isn't sober or at least not totally sober. <laughs> and uh, you know, I have no idea what you mean, Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> so, like watching it stone cold sober yesterday morning, uh, and being like, I don't know what the fuck I'm watching, and then like being a couple, like a couple beers deep, like being like, oh yeah, yeah, like this kind of makes a little bit more sense. Like there's, it's just you, you only really. So it, it made me start thinking about the fantasy genre in general, and like uh, this this iteration of it in movies like the the 80s fantasy movie thing how many of the um like in in what cases is it really that important that there is a logic to the movie the 80s movie version of it right and like to what degree is it kind of just like well you know maybe someone's gonna be high enough that they like watch something or like drunk enough they watch something and they're gonna enjoy it down the line like it's which is not the case with the uh the, I, I don't think with any kind of fantasy novels like fantasy novels are incredibly rigorous about those rules about kind of creating these like world building right when it comes to the 80s iteration of fantasy movies um how important is it to these directors that are kind of creating multi-million dollar projects or you know like like that they kind of keep this consistent this movie makes it feel like they're like well people love fantasy uh people have loved it in all of these different iterations movie wise why don't we just kind of make one yeah, I think right. it would have done better financially if it had made sense. Yeah, but it is, you know, now people that's, that... that's a different issue from whether or not it has its own value. And I think what you're really coming back to is what we were saying earlier, which is the visuals are incredible. The, yeah. movie, the movie is so visually incredible and it has such that that it has a certain value. Even though it doesn't quite make sense. Well, and it's really almost like uh, it, it fills in just like think of like people drunk in a bar where they think of this profound conversation they had. And if you lis- listen to a recording of it, it's, you know, happens. it's like drunk talk <laughs> and it's not really that deep at all. But like you're filling in the blanks because there's alcohol involved. And like, you know, maybe yeah. that could have, you know, but there, there, I'm sure there's like a name for that. But like, you know, that, that's the problem because i'm stone cold sober tonight let me tell you (laughs) no there's it kind of comes down to almost this um you know ridley scott's version of a genre that he's not necessarily comfortable with he's not directed anything in and you can tell that he was intrinsically part of the writing process like i make incredible set pieces this seems like a no-brainer for me why don't we make our version of one of those movies without Has necessarily he done Blade Runner. He's an alien. It's sort of like, he yeah, had every reason to think he could do whatever the hell he wanted to do. And it'd be fantastic. Yeah. Every the, reason. The reason that the reason that people, I think, uh, you know, uh, vibe with fantasy movies a lot of times is because they've read the books and it's like a, a treasured, a treasured book that they've kind of put on screen. And in this case, it's just like Ridley Scott being like, eh, this does well. Let's, yeah. let's, let's create our iteration of it. Um, exactly. But letterbox one-liners, uh, set it yes, up. Yes, indeed. Uh, so this is the uh, this is the signature bit uh, for the show, or my signature bit on this show, which is that uh, letterbox place for film. This is a place where uh, social media site where 
uh, lovers of film and cinema talk at with and to each other about the movies they love bottom up democracy everyone gets their say uh no gatekeepers no lords no masters uh and i crawl all of the the, the various reviews good bad and the ugly to find ones that, that are that are pithy funny poignant or clever uh to display them in uh, roughly a top 10 order here and for us to uh comment and or goof on Why did Tom Cruise grab the armored top, but not the pants? <laughs> <laughs> He's allergic to pants. That's Clearly. This is, this, is, this is an absolute truth that I didn't even think about until I, I was like, you know what? That's a good point. <laughs> He's walking around waist deep in snow and doesn't think about pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just nature boy. You know? Big brain. <laughs> They must think nature means no, not wearing pants. I mean, <laughs> that's what not, that's not what nature means. I thought the you know Sierra Club does everybody everybody donated money to that for uneventful lack of yeah. pants. I've been doing this nature walks all wrong. Let me tell you, <laughs> you dip your balls in it. I probably would have liked this a lot less had I been sober. <laughs> that's Tobias Olson with what became a very good conversational topic. <laughs> Actual friend of mine, by the way. <laughs> this is, this oh, is, God. A whole bunch of dirty little people help Tom Cruise find a princess who's being talked to death by the devil. Cruise is actually <laughs> nimble as his outfit is pants-free and allows for minimum, maximum cross-shot exposure. Jabba Jabba. With wow, him. this is probably like the lowest rating I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny, though. Maximum so cross-shot exposure is true. There are some, there, there's some like, hey, if that scene was like a quarter second longer, you would, you would see him hanging brain. <laughs> Tom, Tom Cruise and the townies. <laughs> Talk to death by the but devil's. Boy, Lily's outfit was really nice. It was really pretty. Oh, I'm a fan. Fun. I'm a fan. Theatrical Cat, one of the most stunningly gorgeous movies I've ever seen. Why don't give a shit about anything that's happening on screen? <laughs> <laughs> and it is like it. It really. It's one of the. It is a gorgeous movie. Like the. I'm the, the the <laughs> yeah, fair, fair, but it is. Yeah, the visuals are amazing. Damn, y'all can call me Little Nas X because I'm about to give Satan a lap dance. (laughs) (laughs) Tags, 80s, Tim Curry, Heart, After Midnight, and Beautiful, two exclamation points. Yeah, those are are accurate tags. Those are good tags. (laughs) The best Legend of Zelda movie we're ever going to (laughs) get. Matt Curione. True. Fair. Fair. We don't get enough goblin-based movies. After this season, we kind of, I feel like we have gotten a fair <laughs> amount of goblin all of them. <laughs> Showgirls. Um... <laughs> Showgirls. <laughs> Wait, Rock had a goblin. Uh, speaking of callbacks, Simple Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Diebold Deckers of that one. You m- 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 make me happy. <laughs> If Sexy Demon proposed me to become his cool goth mistress, I would choose him over a dude who had never showered in his life. R.I.P. to Princess Lily, but I'm different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Elevita, speaking truth bombs. Yeah, I don't know really what, what, what Jack was bringing to the table in this movie. I, like it, <laughs> yeah. Just, just lot, lots of uh, exposed legs. I could really pick this movie apart. But I'm just glad that Ridley decided to give the unicorn from Blade Runner another chance and cast it in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, These are the letterbox good. review one-liners. 
follow the show Moving Extravaganza, which is Forrest over there. I am Conan Neutron. I follow Jay Andy World and uh, all of our various featured guests and friends that are on Letterbox as well. Letterbox, the place for film, not a sponsor. And uh, <laughs> and what a place it is for film. <laughs> but it if is, you want to help one... us out, you can join our Patreon. Ah, yes. This is this is where we talk yeah. about the things we are terrible at talking about. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, this, and what else? if you are, uh, please subscribe to us here on Twitch. Uh, and if you have an Amazon Prime account, it costs you nothing. So go ahead and subscribe. Just do it. Hit the Basil buttons. Prime. By the um, way, patreon.com slash movie night extra. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of different levels to it. Um, I haven't been as, as rigorous about it. I was going to say, what, what do you get? <laughs> well, so, so I Tell us what we get. Was, so my original thought was I wanted to start doing uh, some video essays and like, you know, cutting down um, some of the stuff into and also giving at some level, giving people a chance to decide movies for the future. If, uh, you know, if, if they subscribe that way, of course, it kind of worked out that on Patreon so far, since I haven't really been promoting it the way that I should. And we have like, uh, you know, we haven't gotten really this the, the following on it where I think that um, kind of would warrant kind of creating video essays and, and, and that kind of stuff like it just you know, I'd like because that needs to be funded a little bit better. I think um, we also just do a lot, a lot of hard work for these pictures, and you know, it'd be nice to get some compensation. It would be. Saying, it'd be nice if anybody besides me got got paid, and it would be nice if I got paid more than like twenty dollars a month. So, well, <laughs> we also just put out a lot of regular episodes of this show, which again, totally for free. So doesn't doesn't cost anything to subscribe. Uh, subscribe on YouTube as well. Help spread the word. Obviously, we all know this is a this is a fun show. We have a good time here, but it's a fun show. Uh, I personally think it's a lot better than a lot of the movie shows out there, and it's it's worthy of support. Was the other thing Discord, Andy? Is that the other thing? We're Discord to do? is coming. Uh, we we kind of are still oh. setting things up. Um, Force edited that out. <laughs> Discord is coming, much like darkness is coming. There you go. Okay, keep it in. Force, keep it in. <laughs> uh, what else? Hey, what what else did we forget there, Christina? Did we forget anything? Uh, no, you, you promoted the Twitch, you promoted the Patreon, and, and working on the Discord. All you guys need to do is get a mod, and you'll be good to go. <laughs> yes. We don't have enough uh, comments lately to be to be a mod-worthy show, but, you know. Well, this mod is also where you can do – your mods can do the commands. You have a set of commands yeah. set. So your Patreon, boom, there it is. Your Discord, boom, there it is. There you go. Yeah, Kenzo's really good at that. And when yes. I've been doing my show with him, um, he's got he, all that set up. Yeah, he's he's very he's very good at uh, sending that out into the chat because you know his his chats are vibrant, we shall say. Sometimes it's just uh, someone on screen uh, having a, a, a verbal fight with Conan, but you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I think it also, for this show, it depends on the movie. For whatever reason, I, I think uh, something like this, I, I kind of expected the chat to be like a little less lively because this is something I think people are like, oh, yeah, I'll check that out later. Whereas, like, I think like when you get some episodes are like, you know, it's on fire. And I think that that's, you know, that's just how it goes. Yeah, well, I mean, Matt, Matt, Matt one had the entire, uh, like, a, a lot of people on the Antifada audience listening to it. Well, and, and even, but really... even like, you know, I think Dark Crystal is more interesting to talk about than Legend. You know, and, and yeah, it was, and it, it was lively. But I, also, and what a time be, it was! It would be disingenuous <laughs> of us to do an '80s fantasy month and not talk about Legend, though. Well, I, sure, I find so. it, I find the failures of it kind of fascinating yeah. because I, I think that, like, looking into the thing is we had this conversation yesterday and we brought it up already in this episode. But like, 
and, and this will, I guess, cue up the final thoughts aspect of this too. Um, it, it, it feels like watching this, that this is a well, well-tread uh, genre who, interestingly enough, the best known examples of a lot of times are after this. But, you know, the fact that Hollywood um, kind of, because so much of a movie depends on uh, whether a studio will kind of allow you to make it. And if that's not the case, I mean, it's kind of opening up, I think, at this point, um, uh, like in 1985, where it's like people can start to make their own things. And then distribution rights are really what you want. Like you want someone like you want to go to these film festivals. And if your movie is good, like things like Clerks can be, be made independently with no studio involvement because the studio system's fallen apart. But in this case, a movie like this or a movie, the fantasy genre specifically, um, you can't really make a fantasy movie unless you have someone like Norman Lear that's willing to put up like millions of dollars because all in the family has been such a big show or, you know, uh, Jim Henson who kind of is well, like is able to get uh, funding for, you know, from any source that really exists because they're like, Oh, well, everybody loves the Muppets. Everybody loves Sesame street. Um, you know, what else, what else do you want to make? And you start to have more options. But if you're a director, I think that kind of relies on studio system money this movie seems to be kind of the point where people are like, listen, we've had so many fantasy movies and this one uh, lost so much money that we're kind of skittish about it. And it really comes down to whether studios are skittish about it. Like if you don't have that amount of power, we don't have Jim Henson money. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true too. It's almost a shame that we actually originally had Willow on the docket and we, we cycled around so much. We actually cycle it off. Uh, but it'd be, it, you know, it, it's interesting. This is, all, that's almost like the cousin to legend to a certain degree. Although yeah. I think a far I better, movie. Like far better superior cousin. I haven't, I haven't the seen successful I haven't, cousin. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen Willow. Um, but I, when I was looking for movies, cause we hadn't cycled it off yet when I was looking, when I was doing the intro and, uh, putting that together, I remember looking at, um, with like Willow's trailer, like in clips and stuff to see if I could, you know, incorporate that and being like, ah, oh, this is, this, this movie does not look as, uh, I it's, think it's I'd Ron think. Howard directing and Ron Howard yeah. is just vanilla. So, so like, it's not a bad fantasy movie with the most milk toast director in the world, uh, uh, on it. So, so you're not going to have legend. Like, legend are you saying it's, are you saying it's the, uh, the fantasy equivalent of hillbilly elegy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not bad, but it's just not really good either. Yeah. yeah, like two super good lines, and the rest of it's just okay. Yeah, you, you know, where where you know Tim Curry is just like you, you know, it was just so incredible in this movie that makes up for everything this film lacks. Yeah, um, which is a lot to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Oh, which is, but like Val Kilmer is wonderful in Willow, but he's just not as good as Tim Curry is in Legend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, so, and the best thing in Willow is Billy Barty, who played, I think, was it Screwtop? Yeah, Screwball. So uh, he's in Legend and in Willow. Yeah, Can you imagine if Johnny Depp and Robert Downey Jr. got Tom Cruise's role? Wow. Because they were up for the role I, uh, from what I was doing, like my like crash wow. course. <laughs> yeah, I think this Johnny would be young Robert a whole Downey different Jr. type of movie. Yeah, but it's very movie. young Robert Downey Jr. It's been like, uh, uh, um, was it? Uh, Before was it? SNL. <laughs> yeah, this would have <laughs> been you... like... I'm just imagining Robert Downey Jr. now as Iron Man, but with no pants, going, "Look, I'm in Legend." <laughs> I don't, I don't, quite, I don't quite know how to use weapons, except these incredibly technologically advanced weapons that I'm getting paid by the U.S. government to build. Besides those weapons, 
Not a lot of weapons. And, and Johnny Depp would have been around Edward Scissorhands' time, right? So no, this is it. No, this, no, is this, would, this would be this right after Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, in oh man, so he was, that's very that's this a whole is, different this movie. Is before Twenty One Jump Street. On, in, in yeah. Elm Street like. honestly, I'm trying to. He he probably could have pulled it off. No, Elm Street was nice. Would have been good as really good, but it would have been quite a different move. Yeah, Elm Street was eighty four, right? Yeah, yeah, this is eighty-five. This is eighty-five. Yeah, so that's that's actually fascinating. Um, all right, so uh, starting with you, Jazzy. Um, uh, final. So we do a, a final thought segment where it's whatever you you didn't um, think to say during this, or whatever you wanted to bring up, or any any kind of uh, you know, including ideas about this movie. Well, I think actually I got to everything I had to plan. You know, I I really uh, think that it's one of these movies that's both kind of awful and kind of beautiful and uh thank you very much for, for having me on yeah uh christina As not different said. than um christina that was uh christina <laughs> <laughs> that's a less successful cousin yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly double c anyway uh again this is ridley scott's just attempt at fantasy and he really didn't put all his heart and soul into it outside the sets uh tim curry's what saves this film I give it out of like alicorns, uh, <laughs> seven out of ten. Surprisingly, yeah, that's still higher than what I the amount of alicorns I would give it. I would yoink those alicorns away. <laughs> Conan, I, I, look, this is a gorgeous piece of near nonsense. I mean, the, the visuals and design and the direction are all pretty top notch, and the story is perfunctory, incomprehensible, and ill deployed. So, uh, <laughs> Christina said it. Uh, Tim Curry's Darkness is exactly as awesome as you hope it's going to be if you've never seen this, and as you remember if you have. Uh, you know, vamping, spanning time, like just, just badass in every possible way. Uh, young Tom Cruise is fine, perfect for the role. Uh, Mia Sarah's good. Um, you know, the Tangerine Dream score, I can't say enough good things about it. Like, also, they did also did Thief. Um, they, there's a bunch of scores that they did around this time. Uh, it's always interesting, and it's way better than the, the version that's in the director's cut, which some people think is a better movie. Uh, I would say it's not enough to worth to watch, frankly. <laughs> um, I will say that this is a fascinating artifact of its time, and despite it being flawed in all these very very interesting ways like it's not bad it's, not it's bad but it's not bad like it's it's <laughs> worth watching it's it's worth it's a perfect movie to have on in the background because you know you don't need to give a goddamn about the story <laughs> which also makes it incredibly interesting this is the episode we have someone that actually writes fantasy <laughs> like, you know, like, we're like we're like can you come on for the worst written episode of, or the worst written movie <laughs> at the dude did angel heart which is awesome angel heart is great if we do a noir month i'm gonna sh i'm gonna crowbar that movie in if i have to we're definitely gonna do noir month because that's like one of my favorite genres of anything but um uh andy oh man um i didn't get to sell the story about how i saw this movie which was uh i never saw any of the advertising which which is probably says something about why the movie was a flop um, uh, cause I don't, you know, I was a kid, I would have loved to, you know, loved, loved, loved everything about this movie. It's got little people. It's got Tim Curry. It's got, you know, swords. It's, it's, you know, checked off like a bunch of things that I need for, for a movie. As a oh, kid. little people. How could um, you? <laughs> and, and, uh, what I would have been, uh, eight at the time, I think. 
um, seven, something like that. And uh, anyways, uh, my, my dad took me out on a school night to see this movie too, which was kind of surreal um, uh, to be able to see this movie in the theater. And we were like the only people in the theater. Uh, we went to the, to the fancy rich mall to see this too. Um, but uh, I must have had a good report card or something. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> um, it was, um, and I absolutely loved the movie at the time. And I, you know, uh, I spent most of my time in college playing this in the background while working on paintings and drawings. So, you know, it's, it's always something good. And um, I will say for the visual people, the director's cut is much prettier looking than the, the uh, theatrical cut. And that, that is the only thing it's really gotten right. Uh, uh, you know, over uh, everything else. I have not finished watching the director's cut because I've, my, my internet's been slow all day. Uh, my kids were home. So, you know, there goes my internet speeds. Well, you look, you look great on the, on the video. <laughs> um, what I would say is, are you not the most loathsome of my goblins? And is your heart black and full of malice and hate? And I would say black is midnight, black is pitch, blacker than the foulest witch.